0: Okay, hello and welcome. This is Domino Universe episode five. Yeah, wow. I think so. Happening quick. Yeah. That is
1: assuming that we're releasing all of these
0: in order. We Probably, probably maybe. Probably. Will. Who knows? Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different than the other ones we've recorded, because up until now, we've always talked about a YouTube video that I've made. Mm-hmm. And in this one, we're going to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, but isn't yet a video of mine. Okay. And that is genetic modification. Sounds good. Yeah. So I think it's an incredibly important topic that is widely and wildly misunderstood. Totally. With huge ramifications to our environment and potentially our health yeah. and a bunch of things. Yeah. So um, what is Oh, you have a question.
1: Oh, I was going to say, are we like raising his hand? Are we likely to see a video in the future on this? Do you think? I really hope so. Yeah. Uh,
0: It's one of those things that's tricky because I mean, we talked in a previous episode about me making this cake that was to show how genetics works and how we make genes into proteins. Um, It's complicated. Yeah. Right. And I think that it's hard enough for people to understand how genes work in like throughout history Mm. It's even harder for people to understand the science that we're currently using to make changes to it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds scary and so on. There's a lot to cover and I usually make pretty quick videos. But that said, I am hoping to make a video about it at some point soon. Cool. But it's been on the list for so long. I just want to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So firstly, like what we talked about jeans before. Yeah. For the five second elevator pitch on jeans so that you can go and buy some. Um, You can't really do that. But genes are basically the codes, the blueprints to life. They're the recipe, as Mm -hmm. I said before, that make us up. Mm -hmm. And they are in all living organisms. And we have figured out not only how to understand and decode some of those genes, but also we've figured out how to transfer genes from one organism to another Mm -hmm. in a way that will get passed on from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And we can use that to improve a crop or to make a more environmentally friendly pig or an environmentally friendly tomato. Um, We're going to talk about a bunch of these today.
1: I'd like to build a griffin or something, you know, use genetic engineering to make mythological creatures real.
0: Yeah, when I was a child, I (laughs) felt similar. I wanted to make a Pokemon.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Obviously. There you go. Yeah. Uh,
0: But the genetic (laughs) enhancements or changes, I should say, that we can do... Are pretty small at least at this point for now for now okay um and they have been for the last 30 or so years that we've been doing this um i say we i've never personally done this in a lab but uh scientists though it's still incredible that we have this technology yeah do you want to give a brief overview of like how do we take genes from one thing and put it in another
1: sure yeah so actually defining what genetic modification is is kind of surprisingly tricky because we've been influencing and manipulating genomes for a very long time, deliberately Uh, breeding for, you know, cattle and and livestock and that sort of thing is changing the gene variants and changing the, the, uh, you know, how much of one gene is, is in a gene pool, that sort of thing. We've been doing that for millennia. That's, that's part of what humans do. Um, but that's not considered genetic engineering. You can also take a, a radioactive sample and put it next to a developing embryo or something like that and create lots and lots of weird mutations out of nowhere. That's also not considered genetic engineering. This is, that's actually done to create new cultivars of, of crops, just irradiating them with, with nuclear radiation, organic certified, perfect, ready to go, um, Genetic modification is is sort of like defined by, you know, you know it when you see it. Um, it's the deliberate changing of genes through some kind of intervention, except for certain ones. So you can use a, I mean, viruses do this naturally, right? Viruses can clip out pieces of of DNA and then sew them in elsewhere. We can use viruses and, and other microbiological processes to do this uh, more deliberately. We can talk a little bit more about aspect of that later on. Um, you can also use something. I love this called a gene gun, yeah. uh, which is like literally a gun that takes teeny tiny little metal particles, gold particles, that kind of thing and sprays them with uh, a genetic material and shoot them into the nucleus of a cell uh, where, where they will just be treated like, you know, the, the cellular machinery will treat those little bits of, of genes As, uh, as if they were native to the cell and, uh, and reproduce them as part of the organism. Um,
0: I've been brainstorming video ideas about making a gene gun for so long. Cool. Um, because you can actually just, I mean, it's basically like a fancy, uh, air powered gun. Yeah. Um, like kind of like a paintball gun
1: in fact sometimes they 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 start with a gun and modify that and turn it into a gene gun blew my mind when i learned that they're literally a gun
0: yeah it's incredible because it's like wow they're transferring genes from No, they're just like shooting things into other things yeah and then some of the time those cells that they put the information in will survive and will um, encode that new information that literally got shot into it yeah and we'll put that in as a part of the genome and we'll use that those genes so sometimes it works and then keep in mind from there you have you know let's say you start with a, a leaf or a cell culture or whatever you end up with this one cell that is that is working in the way you want it mm. and then you have to culture it into mm-hmm. that entire full organism which is hard but mm-hmm actually getting the genes in there is shockingly easy
1: it's almost like adding a whole new chromosome isn't it like you wouldn't be you wouldn't be inserting the dna into an existing strand but you're sort of just putting in a, a unique separate piece of dna as if it's a am i getting that right at all that's just I don't my interpretation think so. i mean
0: i think what happens is when you literally shoot genes in mm-hmm. you can break up parts of the genome okay and then genes thankfully know how to repair themselves okay uh, most of the time we're able to you know if there's a little tear in your genome, it can t- tape itself back together right but what happens when you tear it and put new information in is it's like, oh I'm gonna put this back together, oh, there's this other stuff, I don't know where it came from, but it looks like it can fit in here, hmm. and it tapes in that new information okay there's no actual tape, but uh it it uses biomolecular processes yeah. to do this and okay um which is remarkable that that works. Um, but at some point, I would love to make a gene gun. The thing is, it's like, even if I could do this in my garage and I can make a genetically transgenic organism, right? A G- GMO in my garage, but it would probably be like, I made a single cell on an un- a piece of onion skin mm-hmm. fluoresce. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's making a, a fancy organism, but at the same time, it doesn't really always translate super well to video. Right. Right. But, okay. I want to talk about a project. I can't, I guess I can get right into it. I want, I've been wanting to make a genetically modified plant mm-hmm. that is a tomato on the top and mm-hmm. a potato on the bottom. Okay. Um, and both the tomato and the potato would be genetically modified. Okay. Um And they'd be all on one plant. I think this is
1: a... So this is like the potatoes are growing beneath the ground and the tomatoes are growing above. You're not talking about one fruit that's like half. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: two, yeah. Top and bottom of the plant. Yeah. And what's cool, I think, about this is that there's already been tomatoes that have been genetically modified and potatoes that have been genetically modified. Mm -hmm. Um, But the story for each of them in terms of their reception and how people have basically run away from run away from this technology is i think fascinating flavor saver tomato in the in 1992 uh yeah 1992 flavor saver tomato came out and it was this tomato that had a longer shelf life Mm. so it didn't rot as easily which meant that we could waste fewer tomatoes sounds great but um their kind of marketing on it was poor. People didn't know. It was the first GMO product. People didn't know much about them. And it just totally flopped. And by 1997, they completely stopped sale- selling them. Mm-hmm. Um, because people... I think it was from a gene from a fish, actually. Yeah. And people were really freaked out because they didn't understand genes. And they didn't understand genetic modification. And, I mean, they still obviously... Um I just saw a study that came out recently that 88% of Canadians want their food to be labeled if they have whether or not they have genes uh GMO products in them. Yep. Which to me as a scientist it's like what this is it shows the lack of misunderstanding um it's insidious cuz it it's it seems reasonable on
1: its face. Right? Like it's it's hard to argue with someone when they say we just want labels. We just want uh people to have the ability to choose. It's hard to be on the other side of that and say no, it's wrong to label food in in this way. Um, but I agree with you when you when you really sort of look at the the politics of it and the psychology of it. I think that labeling that aspect is not helpful in any meaningful way and only feeds into prejudice.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you think about, so you said earlier that you can, and we've been doing this for decades and decades, mm. well before GMO products, you can mutate a crop by adding radiation to it, or mm-hmm. by you know, by putting an extra nuclear piece of material for a while. We've been doing this for a long time, and those genetic changes are unknown to us, right? Yep. We can look at the at look at and see how the plant turned out, mm-hmm. but we don't always know the genes responsible and we don't always know all of the other side effects that might come along with that, right? Right. Whereas at least with genetic modification we know what genes we're changing and you would think that and we'd and we end up doing more or similar research on them to figure out if they're if they're safe enough mm-hmm. right um but we have more information when we do it this way and it it is inherently safer that in that respect mm-hmm. but yeah people are people are afraid of it whenever i think about people that don't understand the fir- the what that don't understand gen- genetic modification the first thing I want to show them, they're like, "Oh, corn is genetically modified." You should look at if you and Google it, or I'll leave a link. I'll leave a link in the podcast description that shows a photo comparing corn to its ancestor teosinte. Yeah. From before we domesticated it, it looks like a grass you would find in your lawn. Yeah. It looks so different than a cob of corn, and that was not with genetic modification. That was with breeding, um, and that was over the course of 10,000 years. Right. Like we've been doing this for a long time. Yep. Um, but anyway, back to tomatoes, I'm like a big fan of the flavor saver tomato, even though i never was, I wasn't, I wasn't even old enough to taste it at the time or to know, know better. But, um, flavor saver tomato could have been a huge benefit to the environment. Yes. So it was canceled in 1997, but, since it came out, since the very start of that flavor saver tomato period, we've been making around 60 million tons of tomatoes every year globally. Okay. 60 million tons. Do you know what 60 million tons looks like? Oh, man. I was thinking about this this morning. I mean, like a truck is yeah. like one, is a few tons, right? Right. Let's say it's, let's say it's a 10, 10, 10 tons just for rounding purposes. Okay. So that's a field of, that's like an ocean of semi trucks <laughs> it's like a lake of semi trucks yeah um 60 million oh even more than that
1: yeah i was thinking like is that like the empire state building but no the empire state building is nowhere near 60 million tons
0: no may maybe half a million tons yeah, basically we're looking at like a city, a worth city. of tomatoes. Yeah, it's yeah. like
1: a yeah, right. It's on the scale of an entire city, okay. except
0: that that's every year. Yeah, right. Okay. And I've seen. So I grew up on a farm, mm. and I we've we have neighboring farms. We we grow corn, but we have neighboring farms that are tomatoes. And if you walk through a tomato field, oh, wow! There, are, it is just red. And like when they're when they're mm. ready for harvest, it is just red with tomatoes. We grow so many tomatoes. Mm. Um, but think about think about it this way. so flavor saver tomato came out uh 1992 that's 25 20 no more than that seven 27 27 years ago so i did my math wrong originally because i that's longer ago than i thought but um that's like one and a half billion tons of tomatoes that have been grown since then Hmm. so if we had stuck with and adopted flavor saver tomato which has a which has a longer shelf life we would have Easily saved millions of tons of tomatoes from going to waste, mm. which, if you think about the food that we had to grow in place of those, is a huge environmental impact. Yeah, and was completely trashed just because people were were scared of a technology they didn't understand. Yeah, um, so I wanted to get my hands on flavor saver tomato because until recently they were available. Like the seeds existed.
1: I was gonna like, say there there must still be some kind of uh, seed bank that that has samples
0: yeah you would think right and i've looked around a lot last year to try to get my hands on them but since i think well a couple of years ago they went off patent right? oh, okay and because of that they probably were thrown out by monsanto the company that that had the original patent hmm. um, and it's been really hard for me to find seeds from them hmm. i contacted a guy in seattle that like maybe had some but he hadn't grown them in years and years and didn't know if they were viable viable or not i haven't heard back from him so like it might not exist anymore wow which is wild we created something new and then extincted it yeah basically interesting uh but so i wanted to get my hands on that tomato and then also the white russet potato okay which is a new genetic modification um for potatoes similarly they don't brown as quickly Mm -hmm. and uh so they have longer shelf lives they can be used longer and there's going to be less waste from them I contacted that company so many times and have not heard back from me because they are very hesitant now to work with people that do outreach. Sure. Because there's been such, like, so much miscommunication about it. Yeah. Um, White Russet, if you're listening, please, I just want to do some good science communication about your potatoes. Uh, I understand genetic modification, how it works, and I'm a fan. Do you know about the Arctic apple? not at all okay tell me the
1: arctic apple is a similar product it's an apple that doesn't brown so uh in theory it has a longer shelf life i think it has more to do with once the apple has been cut uh it won't brown um but still that that uh that translates into a longer shelf life in a lot of ways and it was developed here in british columbia where we both currently reside and uh I believe that its owner and, and creator is much more open to outreach. I've, I've seen that organization sort of doing some public outreach themselves. Very cool. So there may be some potential there. So apples are their whole, other, like apples are a weird thing for cultivating in general.
0: But, but this is a great point. So when I wanted to grow this tomato potato that I would call like a pomato or something, mm-hmm. a little plant, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't going to genetically modify the two species together so that they could grow on the same plant. Oh, okay. Because they're close enough, they're related to a close enough degree that you can actually just cut off the top of a tomato plant and cut off the bottom of a potato plant and literally tape them together. That's spectacular. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. You tape them together and they will merge together and grow as one plant because everything is related to some degree. And if it's close enough, they will. Believe that they're one and grow as one.
1: Curtis, why are we not doing this already, even with, without, like, take the genetic
0: modification out of it? Why are there not fields full of potato tomatoes? Great question, Jesse. And this leads to your apple example, because apples are actually grown like that. Yeah. All apple orchards are the tomatoes, sorry, the tomatoes, the tomatoes on trees. No, the apple orchards have a variety that is really delicious on top. And they make great apples, but the root systems from those apple varieties aren't very good yeah. in terms of you know, disease resistance and other things like drought. So they take a totally other variety that has a very solid root base and they graft them together. They mm-hmm. cut, cut one and cut the other and literally, again, tape them together. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that works well for apples but not for tomatoes and potatoes is because um, with tomatoes and potatoes, they are grown only for one season. Right? so it's this really complicated process I see. you you know you have to grow a lot of a lot of tomatoes and a lot of potatoes and you do a lot of grafting yeah and then sometimes mm. it works but most of the time it doesn't yeah. and then after all that you get it for one season right and you have to harvest them at different times anyways it's really complicated okay but with apples it makes sense because you grow them for I don't know 20 years Forty years. Sure. I don't know how old apples grow. But.
1: What a space saver that would be, though, huh? If you could use the same field to grow both potatoes and tomatoes. Yeah. Wow, you're blowing my mind. That's I've never encountered that before.
0: Yeah, it's hard, which is why it's sure it's not a thing that people see. Yeah. Uh, but I think it would make a great video. I love plants, like to my core. Maybe my favorite thing in all of sciences and all of natural sciences is botany. Mm. But man, does it ever fail on YouTube? It, plants do not. <laughs> Mm. do not get clicks which makes b- b- just breaks my heart people
1: yeah also so, paint drying
0: you know what on though? youtube i've seen videos of paint drying people watching paint dry and they got like a million views it's like does paint dry if you watch it does okay. water vsauce did a video of like does water boil if you watch it does a does a watch pot boil it has like a million views okay it's just like a half an hour and y- you haven't
1: that. tried to watch grass grow I equivalent
0: should, I should <laughs> Curtis bowdy watches grass grow for f- 2 days time lapse live stream it oh gosh don't encourage don't encourage me <laughs> live stream it like uh like CGP Grey live streaming is his road trip <laughs> yeah just him silently driving across the country <laughs> yeah yeah i guess maybe i should um I mean, I guess you know I used to live stream Sir Stabbington the cactus, mm-hmm. and people watched that, and there that was go. literally just a, a plant growing, a cactus growing, which really grows slowly. Yeah. Though with the cactus, if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, Curtis Bowdy, uh, it puts a little single drop of water onto him, and that's what's been keeping him alive for more than a year, which is rad. Um, a hearty little cactus. Yeah. Turns out they don't need a lot of water. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> that's how that's that's how he really survived. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Back to, I don't know how we got there, but back to genetic modification. Yes. There are so many examples. So we talked a little bit about these apples and about potatoes and tomatoes. Um, I think the cases where they go wrong is often in marketing and often in like their names of things. Yeah. So we've got like flavor savor tomato. There is the enviro pig and there is this new salmon that is uh, that grows faster, and therefore they can grow them in less time and is more efficient in terms of energy costs and resources. And that's called the Aqua, the Aqua Advantage Salmon. And I, what do you think about these names?
1: I think that they, what they, what these scientists really want to be doing with their careers is naming social media apps. <laughs> Because, like you say, flavor savor, these are not two words, flavor and then savor. This is one word jammed together with a capital in the middle, and they've eliminated the E's. So it's like flicker, right, yeah. with no E towards the end. This is ridiculous. This is not a serious scientific project name. Um, the Aqua Advantage Salmon. Again, they've squished the words together, so it's sort of like Aqua Advantage like they're trying to make a twitter handle not a not the name of a serious product that's going to be taken seriously. Okay. I think it's ridiculous. I see what they're going for. I see that they want to they're they're thinking of marketing but boy, I think they're coming at it from the wrong angle.
0: I mean, they're trying to make these weird and kind of scary to a lot of people things like people call gmos frankenfoods right yes yeah um they're trying to make it sexy and approachable right yeah i think that's the wrong approach to take with it yeah i kind of agree you know but it's tricky yeah um because on the one hand if you just name it like like the potatoes are named white russet potatoes yeah and there is a brand of potatoes a variety that's been around for ages that's called the, the russet sorry russet potatoes and they haven't really made it sexy and hip and cool but also i feel like a lot of people are going to be like oh it's a gmo in disguise yep. i don't know yep. i don't know what the right answer is i
1: i th- neither do i and i don't think that there's i don't think the name is what's the whole thing is is hinging on uh, i think that gmo products have a lot of of convincing the public before they're generally accepted no matter what the name is but in terms of the name itself i think what they should do is Call it something serious that doesn't sound like a cutesy name for a kid's toy, but also don't shy away from the fact that it's GMO. Sort of lean into it. It's, it's uh, futuristic, it's sustainable, it's scientific, it's precise and engineered, and, and it's not like a frivolous thing. I don't have a great name suggestion based on that, but I think yeah. if you go into it with like, let's be honest and upfront and lean into the the genetic modification, address the concerns and, and sort of dispel all the misconceptions, but also treat it like a serious product that you're, yeah. that's, I mean, these things are not a novelty. At least they shouldn't be. Flavor Saver Tomato was marketed as a novelty. Isn't this a neat little thing? It'll last a little longer on the shelves. But really, I believe that genetically modified foods are – this isn't just my belief either. Like, this has the potential to save millions of lives. Yeah. To increase the quality of life of millions, if not billions of people. I'm sure that we'll talk about golden rice. Yeah. And uh, and things like that. Um, This isn't a genetically modified product, but dwarf wheat has saved a billion lives. Uh, these are you know modified crop products like i was saying earlier the distinction between like where does where do you put the line and say genetically modified versus not is a little bit fuzzy um but this is it's a really serious thing
0: yeah with dwarf wheat it was just wheat that didn't grow as tall which meant that it didn't fall over as much which meant that you could harvest all of it or more of it yeah um with a combine without you know, before a lot of it would just be too low for the machines to, to harvest. Mm. So we were wasting tons, literally tons, like millions yeah. of tons of of wheat. Yeah. And with this newly bred, well, in the 60s, I don't know when actually this, the Green Revolution by Norman Borlaug happened. Yeah, 50s, like 60s? I think so. Um, but anyway, that made more food for another billion people, right? Yeah. Um, you mentioned golden rice and man, that is a sad and scary tale um scary in the sense that we had this rice that we developed that was uh had a i think it was actually also colored a little golden yeah um but it had more beta i believe beta carotene vitamin
1: a and beta beta carotene yeah which which is what contributes to like the orange color of carrots yeah yeah
0: and that's important for humans because obviously most people on earth eat rice daily Mm. and a lot of people, especially in, I believe in, it was in Africa and there were especially trying to get it into a few countries in Africa where mm. people were deficient in these, in these nutrients and were developing blindness early in life.
1: I believe Bangladesh was another, a big, big target for it, Absolutely, uh, but I'm not positive about that.
0: And the, and the goal was like these companies had this technology and they were, you know, they were, they wanted to do good with it. Yeah. And And they tried to get this into these countries to prevent people from turning blind from an easily preventable um, nutrient deficiency. And what ended up happening was, and I don't want to say, I don't know if it was Greenpeace, but I think that it might've been, but there was a bunch of organizations that were Hmm. anti-GMOs and they basically raised enough skepticism towards them in these countries that they just totally got shut down. Um, which is a shame because now we have you know, like there's so many lives and so many illnesses could have been prevented, yeah, yep. um I do believe that
1: there's still hope for golden rice. I don't think it's dead completely i I right. should look that up before making any any specific claims, but uh, yeah, although it's faced a lot of opposition, I think that it's 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 still fighting the good fight,
0: yeah, fingers crossed, yeah, um, yeah, I think about the enviro pig which mm-hmm. is a pig that I believe it was methane that pr- produced less methane gas. Mm. And methane's a gas that produces well it's it's in a, it's a greenhouse gas that's 21 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Mm. It's really bad and since we have maybe billions of pigs certainly I'm certainly sure billions we mu- of we pigs, must yeah. Um it's a huge environmental impact. Yeah. And they created this genetically modified pig that produced less gas and that was going to be huge for the environment, right? Mm. And that was actually in Guelph and I remember I was the, I was in in the Guelph region at the time that this was all going down mm. and people hated it. I mean people are so afraid of this technology that it basically also got you know it got through to being a feasible thing that they can technically do but it just didn't win over enough approval mm. from the public. Mm. Um, and as far as I know it's been it's it's a dead project and they've I think in 2012 they stopped stop making any of these growing raising any of these pigs yeah um that's like wow we're trying to solve big issues like climate change and we have the technology but we don't have public approval because of failure to understand the science so as a science
1: communicator then do you have any ideas or or opinions on like how to address this it's such a big issue i don't think we've we, we haven't gotten into a lot of the the details on the safety and and uh and oversight into into gmos but i i hope we can just say that we believe that they're they're generally safe yeah Um, I i mean you know that's a complicated question it as a class of food or a class of products you don't want to label it as either safe or unsafe but
0: the technology itself is inherently safe okay the for any new food product you need to test it Right, right. Like that's there's there's yeah, a case the, where they they took at. some sort of a plant. I think it was I want to say it was soybeans, and they transferred the gene into it from a uh, I think the Brazil nut, and you know people that were had allergies to Brazil nuts also had allergies mm. to this thing. But like you could have also done that through breeding. You can make new plants that have allergies through breeding. Right. We need to always all always test the product, the final product. Right. The process itself is. Kind of irrelevant,
1: right? Yes, this is the point I was trying to make. Thank yeah. you.
0: Yeah, and we've and so we've and in terms of like, oh, but we don't know if you know they are safe because they won't, they're new. We've had this technology for over thirty years, mm-hmm. and there's been thousands and thousands of, of studies, and there's nothing inherently scary or dangerous about it. There's no report that's ever found that, mm. um, and yeah, they're they're fine.
1: <laughs> so that having been said, yeah, what do you think? should be science communications role in, in helping to push this, this wonderful technology
0: forwards. I mean, I'm, I mentioned this a while ago when we talked about belief in flat earth. And I think it's that we are trying to get people on board with genetic modification Mm. when really what we need to be doing first, before we can deal with that is go way back to basic genetics. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember there was a study, a survey done in the UK years ago, but not, not that many years ago there was about public perception of GMOs and a huge percentage, I believe it was around a third of people thought that GMOs were things that had genes added, but before that didn't have genes.
1: Okay. Like they
0: just didn't understand the very, very basics. Yeah. Right. And we're not going to, uh, we're not going to win over public opinion without people understanding what they're having opinions on. Right. right? Yeah. Um, because if you don't understand it, then it makes sense to be afraid of it. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, but yeah we need to, we need to go so my my conclusion to all of this is that we need to go back to the basics and we need to help people understand genetics and then guide them through the process of genetic modification and hopefully develop a larger connection between the public and food production because it's severely lacking right now.
1: You mentioned that there are there are groups that are specifically advocating against genetic modification, like Greenpeace and other groups that are ostensibly environmental groups or in every other way, environmental groups. Um, how much of the anti GMO sentiment do you think is sort of a like natural, without any knowledge of genetics, people are simply afraid of what they don't understand. And how much of it do you think comes from these deliberate campaigns against GMO?
0: I mean, I think it's obviously a pretty good mixture of both, but like, I don't think we would have a fear of it if people weren't creating media about that. Right. Um, Like, I don't think that would be, that would have been a problem Um, because you look at other technologies like, um, I don't know, like CRISPR. Yeah. Right now, there's no big campaign to stop CRISPR. Yeah. Because, I mean, there just hasn't been a campaign, right? Yeah. But like, it is a more precise technology Mm -hmm. and we'll be able to do like more accurate and safer gene transformations with it. Mm -hmm. I should say for, without getting into the technicals about what CRISPR is and how it works, genetic modification up until now has been like, you have a book of genes and you're like ripping out pages and throwing new pages Mm -hmm. in CRISPR in contrast is like going in and being able to change a specific letter or word at your will
1: briefly it it's it uses an aspect of bacteria's immune system to to like we've sort of co-opted this to to insert genes exactly where we want them
0: yeah fascinating and definitely a future episode at some point yeah uh but with crispr no one's really opposed to this technology and it has different regulations under it and it's not going to be classified as gmo creating a gmo it's going to be totally fine even though it is like a newer technology. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and I don't know why that why the people didn't pick up on that, and Greenpeace hasn't hasn't gone gone against that to target it. But I mean, I'm I'm obviously glad because I think that it has a lot of potential to do a lot of good. Mm. But yeah, I, I don't know what to do about what to do about those organizations. Like on the one hand, obviously as an environmentalist to the core, I want to be able to really support and uh, back up people like greenpeace organizations like greenpeace but yeah. man when they don't understand the science it's really really frustrating yeah and, and sad they want yeah. to do they're just, these are people wanting to do good in the world yes yeah
1: yeah there's uh there are some interesting people who have left the greenpeace like side of the environmental movement if that makes any sense and have come over to pro-gmo and some of them are like pro-nuclear power as uh as being truly the, the right environmental approach. Yeah. And, uh, I don't remember the names off the top of my I know, head. But... Bill
0: Nye had a book about evolution yeah. and genetics a while back and had a big chapter at the end of it about, about like how dangerous GMOs were. And then like he went on a tour and went to a bunch of facilities, including Monsanto and like mm-hmm. saw the technology and learned about it and learned about all the environmental good it's doing. Mm-hmm. Long story short, totally changed his view and did a, did a republish of the, of that chapter, which is, I mean, amazing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we talk about this all day. At some point, we'll do an episode on CRISPR. So stay tuned for that. Great. And as always, we like to talk about a YouTuber or podcast or Twitter person that is doing science communication. I want to talk today about Dr. Sally LePage. I can say that now because she recently did get her doctorate. Yay, Dr. Um, LePage. Yeah. Her, uh, her, doc- her Twitter profile is Doctor of Evolutionary Biology, Science YouTuber, and Presenter. I've been following her since she was back in this she had this little shed that she used to make her youtube videos out of uh, i think things have evolved quite a bit since then and she's doing a lot more than that just a lot more than that now fascinating channel lots of if you want to learn more about genetics and biology go check it out link in the description as always and yeah thanks so much for listening if you want to subscribe to our podcast you can do that anywhere you get your podcast i'm curtis i'm jesse thanks for listening to the domino universe we will catch you next time see you later